The first thing I wanted to do today before I start preaching is I found a poem in an art in a magazine that we have up north called The Fish Wrapper. It's a, printed by mostly the Mennonites up there, but it's like an advertiser type thing, but it has a lot of good poems and a lot of good articles in it. And this one's called The You in Jesus. Before you were thought of, or time had begun, God even stuck a you in the name of his son. And each of the time you pray, you'll see it's true. You can't spell out Jesus and not include a you. You are a pretty big part of his wonderful name. For you, he was born. That's why he came. And his great love for you is the reason he died. It even takes a you to spell crucified. Isn't it that thrilling and splendidly grand he rose from the dead with you in his plan. The, sto the stone split away, the gold trumpet blew, and this resurrection is spelt with a U. When Jesus left earth at his upward ascension, he felt there was one thing he just had to mention. Go into the world and tell them it's true, that I love them all just like I love you. So many great people are spelt with a U. Don't they have a right to know Jesus too? It all depends now on what you will do. He'd like them to know when it all starts with you. And so, <laughs> the author of that is unknown. I looked at my watch a while ago, and I timed my sermon. I'm used to timing sermons because years ago when I was on the radio, I mean, when it said 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the case of our service, you were gone, whether you were finished talking or not. So I learned how to cut sermons, and I timed myself on this one, and I think I might not run you over today, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I like the story of this young preacher. He took over a church, and when he got there uh, that for the first Sunday sermon, he came in to preach that morning, and he had a patch here and a patch there, and patches all over his face, and they said to him, what happened? He said, oh, he said, this morning when I was in the bathroom, he said, shaving, he said, I was thinking about my sermon and got so excited, he said, I cut myself. A little old lady timed up, chimed up, and she said, next Sunday, she said, pay attention to your shaving, but cut your sermon. Now that all of you are awake, we're going to go into the sermon. <laughs> okay. Today around us, there are many woe is me Christians. I hate to see Christians that, oh, woe is me, there's woe. They have all kinds of problems, and uh, they just like to, everybody to hear about it. 
And we also then have situations in the world that look bad. I mean, the, our, our world today is nothing like I ever remember. And I have some time to remember back to. But, and, and it takes, I mean, it, there, there's never been a time like this. Betty and I often sit and talk and we say, we believe we were born and raised and came up through the early 20s and 30, 20 and 30 years of our lives in the best age ever. Because we never heard of some of the things that, that we hear about today. In many churches, things look bad. Their church is closing their doors because they don't have people, the people attending anymore. And really, the attendance, church attendance in the United States is nothing to brag about at all. It's not as bad as England, but it's, it's bad enough. In the scriptures, in Matthew, the fifth chapter, at the beginning at the 13th verse, it says, ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot by men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto the whole house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We look at this and we're to be light in a dark world. It's written, you know, and it's true. Turn on a light switch in a dark room and darkness disappears. Darkness don't like light. It's gone. Right? And uh, we continue to look at it and the brighter the light, the better we like it. <laughs> Yesterday I was changing bulbs at home, trying to get better light that we can sit and read by in the evening. So you need a good light. And there are many people out there who need the light of Jesus Christ in their life, and the only Bible they see is you, and is your light shining? Is your light shining that that people will want what you have. There's a recent example that gets to me every time I hear it and every time I try to tell it to somebody. But do you all remember that picture here a few months ago of ISIS? They had 20 Egyptian uh, Coptic Christians lined up with an ISIS man in back of each one of them ready to slit the throat of the person? Well, there's one part that was over to the right of the screen you hardly ever see when they show that picture, but it was a black man. He came up from Africa looking for a job in Egypt. And when they were rounding up these Christians, he happened to be there, and they took him along with him, with them. He was at the end of that line, also had somebody with a knife at his throat standing in back of him. They came down the row, one after the other. They said, what are you? Are you a Christian? And if you said yes, renounce your Christianity. And they said, we cannot renounce. And 20 Coptic Christians 
had their throats slit right there. They got down to this black man from Africa. He had just gone up to Egypt trying to find work that he could send money home for his family. And anyway, they came up to him and they said, and what is your religion? He says, I don't really have one. He said, but oh, I want what they have. They left their light shine, and even if they lost their lives doing it, that this man could see the light of Jesus Christ shining through, and at the, at the face of facing death, looking in death's face, he was not afraid to say, I want what they have. We need more Christians, I guess, like that today. And I don't know if I ever gave this example here before, but when I was over in Cape May, New Jersey, uh, I was associate pastor and then interim pastor at a church over there. And while we were over there, my wife at that time, who worked for Teen Challenge as a bookkeeper, knew the man that we rented our uh, apartment from over in Cape May. Uh, he was on the board of directors at the Teen Challenge Training Center, so he knew, uh, knew us real good. And he invited us out to dinner. <laughs> Bless God. Uh, he was an assembly of God, and he took us to this tavern for dinner, which I thought was a little unusual at that time. <laughs> and, but he took us to this tavern for dinner, and we sat two tables in front of the bar. I mean, they had a big dining room, but for some reason they seated us over in the bar room. And there were two tables in front of the bar, and our food came, and I can't tell you, this guy prayed heaven down on us that day. He was loud enough, he was saying the table grace for everybody that was in the place. And I, I looked over at the bar to see what the reaction was over there. And, you know, I don't know if they still do it. I haven't been in a bar room for so long that I don't, don't get a chance to see this happen. But years ago, you always had the barkeep. If he wasn't serving a drink, he was wiping the bar with his rag. He'd go up and down the bar and keep wiping it. But I looked over, this barkeep stopped. <laughs> and I don't know if he didn't think of what was happening to him or not. I don't know, but he wiped his eye, the tears out of his eyes with the bar cloth. And afterward, he came over to the table and said, you know, he said, I got to go back to where I once was. He said, I've wandered away from it. So let your light shine. Let your light shine. We should be salty. Salt burns if you put it in a wound, but it can also heal in some cases. Same as your witness the first time might offend somebody. But oftentimes the one that was offended finds his way to the Lord, come, comes back to, and comes to the Lord. We need to be producing Christians. We can't just go life, through life and not do anything. The reason a lot of Christians, they say, don't want to witness is I don't want to be labeled a fanatic. Well, I'll be a fanatic for Jesus any day. I don't want to offend anyone. 
it's not my nature. No, it's not. You don't have Christ's nature either, if you said that. And my denomination doesn't teach per a personal relationship. Those are the four biggest excuses given for why people don't want to be do a, a witness a witness to the Lord in public or to other people. It's uh, the secret to power is found in our Christian walk. The main part of the, my message today is based on Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. There's a, that's a good guideline to have. Other teachings are found in John 16, 24. Hither have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. But let him ask, uh, James 1, 6, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven by every wind. James 4, 3, ye ask and ye receive not, because you ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon yourself, your lust, your own lust. And for this one, I always think of the story of Solomon, you know, when Solomon became the king of Israel, when he stepped into that spot, he went to the temple to pray, and he prayed to God, and he said, God, give me the wisdom to rule over these restless people that are under me. And God, he continued to pray and plead with God for that guidance and that help. And finally God spoke to him and said, because you have not asked for anything that would increase yourself, you know, any wealth, that to increase his wealth, he said, but have asked for this spiritual thing. He says, I will grant you more. You will be known as the wisest man in the world. And he, uh, we all know what happened. I mean, he was... He did become known as the wisest man in the living, and he uh, continued to rule over in peace over the, the Jewish people. So let's look to, today at the first part of the, that verse. That verse is really in three parts, and it says, uh, that we're going to look at the ask. It says, don't ask for personal gain like the man that wanted to buy the power of healing. If you remember in the scripture, there's a story, I think it was Paul or either Peter and a, a group of the apostles, they were going around and they were healing the sick and they cast a demon out of this man's woman that he had with him who used to prophesy over people. Well, she even had more sense than her owner did because it says that she said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, or something to that effect. And anyhow, he, uh, they, they cast a demon out of her. And then the man had the audacity to ask them to give him, he would buy that power that he could heal people. And they told him it was not something that was for sale. But that's asking wrong, asking amiss. I have seen 
results of healing in many people through prayer. And uh, when, I, when I'm usually asked to pray for somebody, then I usually see better results than uh, at other times. I mean, up in, in North Carolina, my people were uh, trained and they came, if they wanted to be anointed, they came and asked to be anointed. Because in James 5, it says, if there's any sick among you, let him call on the elders and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil, and they shall be healed and be forgiven of their sins, the scripture tells us. So uh, I've, I've seen, I've asked for that kind of a ministry through the years, and it seems God blessed me with it, and I had that type. One thing, too many Christians, you get prayed for, you ask God for something, and you don't think you're asking him this, you're not, uh, but, but you, you petition God to help you, and uh, you get discouraged. I've, how often I've had people tell me through the years, through 55 years in ministry, how often I've had people tell me, well, God didn't answer my prayer. I feel like I'm just bond, it's bouncing back off the ceiling again when I pray. That's your problem. It's not God's problem. That's your problem. Be patient. I've known people that prayed for things, and it never happened for years. Out in Charleroi, Pennsylvania, there was a woman that attended my friend's church out there, and every the kids even in the church were making fun of her because there they before prayer time they'd ask does anybody have a prayer request and they'd get up and say what their request was, and this woman would get up for twenty years she got up in every service that they put forth well that they asked for people to give their request she stood up and she said oh pray for my alcoholic husband. She went to church this one Sunday morning and they asked for prayer and the kids were sitting in the back row. Well, I'm glad we see the kids in the front row here. <laughs> in the back row, they can get in trouble. <laughs> in the front row, and they were, <laughs> yeah, pray for my drunken husband. You know, and they'd, they'd mimic her quietly in the back. And anyhow... She got up, went to church that Sunday morning, went home, and uh, in the afternoon, he said, you're not going back to that crazy church again tonight. And she didn't argue with him. She thought, you're going to get so drunk, you're going to pass out again, and I'm going to go to church. So she goes upstairs, it's coming, and it was one of those row houses where you come in the door, and the stairway goes right upstairs from right inside the door. And the living room was over on the other side. He was over there laid out on the sofa. And she thought he was passed out, you know, drunk. And she comes down the steps and goes for the door. And he pops through the door from the living room. And he says, and just where do you think you're going? Revolver in hand, pointed at her. She says, you pull the trigger, I'm going to glory, but if you don't, I'm going to church. <laughs> that night, when they gave an invitation in that church, 
she recognized his footsteps as they came past her going down the aisle. And he went up to the altar and uh, as they called it back then, he prayed through and came to church for about three weeks and then the Lord took him home. But persistence in prayer he don't answer to maybe when you want him to. Same way Mary and Martha, they sent for Jesus and said, oh, Lazarus is sick. Come, come. And uh, I've just read it again this week in, in the, a book that Max uh, Lucado has written along with somebody else, but it's called The Story. And it's the Bible stories, but they're all in more modern English than any of the Bible translations that I have at home. But anyway, he made it, it was made very plain in there. And that, uh, you know, when you ask, you have to believe that you're going to get it. But you can't be impatient. He said when Jesus finally got it, Jesus walked around in down in Galilee probably down around Tiberias is the area he was in. And he walked around there preaching and teaching for two, three days after he got word, oh, come right away. You know. And it's probably a three days walk over to Jericho and then up the Jericho Road up to Bethany where, where uh, Lazarus lived. Where La they, it's close to the Mount of Olives that they lived. Uh, we went past the place where it supposedly was his birthplace uh, when we were on our trips over there. But anyway, uh, he came there. They said, oh, if you'd have come, Master, if you'd only come, he wouldn't be dead. And Jesus said, take me where you have him laid, meaning take me to the tomb. They said, oh, don't do no good. He, by now, four days dead. He stinks. <laughs> he went up to the tomb, and uh, there's a little more to the story, but basically he said, Lazarus. He called out to him and said, come forth. And Lazarus came out of the tomb. Now, Jesus was four days late, but he was still on time. He was still on time. So uh, we have to get on with the message. I'm, oh boy, I better move. <laughs> Seek and you shall find. And I found myself, I thought, at home. Seek and you shall find. That verse, even my wife don't know this. Well, she knows one, one part of it. She knows that I'm patient. If I lose something, if I mislay something, I don't get excited anymore. <laughs> I don't, right? <laughs> and here, three weeks ago, this is the part she don't know. <laughs> after we left church, after we left the fellowship hall afterward, we stopped by a restaurant to eat on the way home. And uh, Monday morning came, and I, I think I went, had gone to Walmart, picked something up, and I went for my credit card, and it was gone. 
I thought, now where could that credit card be? I have a bad habit. Instead of putting it back in my wallet right away after it's swiped or stuck in the machine, I have a bad habit of putting it in my shirt pocket. And that's what I had done. Anyway, I thought, I can't, I'm not going to tell her. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear it. <laughs> and anyway, come Wednesday, come Wednesday, I was sitting there and I thought to myself, I'm going to look in the clothes hamper. Now, who loses something and goes and looks in the clothes hamper? Oh, you do too. Okay. <laughs> I'm not alone. I looked in the clothes hamper. I pulled out the shirt. I saw the shirt. I was close to the top. And I pulled it out and checked the pockets. No, nope, it wasn't there. I've often found it either there or in my pants pocket sometimes when I mislay it. But anyhow, I thought, I'd better take all the clothes out of here. And I reached on, there were about four or five articles there that besides my shirt, and I picked them up, and laying in the bottom of their clothes hamper was my credit card. <laughs> I went out, put it in my wallet, and I never said a word to it. <laughs> I thought today it was safe to tell you about it because she can't beat me up now. <laughs> Seek and ye shall find. Years ago, I, when I was a kid, oh boy, when I was a kid, I have a lot to go. Years ago, when I was a kid, we used to have a tent meeting come to our town every summer. And at that tent meeting, after the evangelists had given the sermon, people were coming around to, to the seats. They, they had a tent, pews down the middle, and then benches around the side. They came around and one of the deacons from the church I belonged to when I was 11 years old was sitting there, and they, he came and he said to him, he, uh, to the deacon, he said, if you died tonight, would you be sure you went to heaven? Now, I heard all the other people that belonged to that group say, oh, I sure would. Yeah, they were, had a, a, a sure uh, feeling, I mean, about their salvation, the deacon from my church said, I hope so. <laughs> well, from that night on, and for 21 years, I sought for a no-so instead of a hope-so. And I found that. I found it, and I'll tell you yet before it's all over. But, but if, if you aren't sure Find out. You can know. God will put it in your heart that you know. I mean, quit. too many people think of the things they did in the past that were uh, questionable today, if you would have done them. They think of that and they, oh, he can't forgive me. He don't, you don't know what I did. God said he wipes the slate clean and he puts it in the sea of his forgetfulness never to be held up against us again. And if we read the scripture further, he forgives our future sins. Too. If we only go to him, he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father, go to him, 
and confess the sins they started, Lord, I goofed it this time, and ask for forgiveness for that, and he is faithful and just to do it. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. That's the last part of that verse. Uh, yeah, we have the door there. Oh, that, that's the wrong door. That one has a doorknob on this side. <laughs> I thought it was going to be the real painting where Christ's knocking on a door. We all know it. It hangs over in Europe in a museum, they tell me. But anyhow, that would be one for the Christ being on the inside and it should show a window that we could see Christ on the inside and the sinner knocking on the door. And if he wants to get in and be with Jesus, he opens the door from this side. Boy, I saved that one, didn't I? <laughs> but anyhow, the, the, the other one, there's no doorknob there. Okay. Uh, what happened to me with this uh, last part of that verse there, uh, what happened to me I looked everywhere. I tried different things. One thing from high, my high school days, I was always involved in anything musical in school from first to twelfth grade. I was in it. I was involved in it. So I loved quartet concerts. And my barber, he was uh, went to these concerts quite frequently. And that time we had a quartet up there called the Courier's Quartet. And it was their seventh anniversary concert, and they had seven big-name quartets there to help celebrate. And uh, I had gone to some other concerts before that, but this was the special one. It was on October 26, 1962. I was sitting in row M, seat 17, in the Scottish Rite Cathedral in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And Earl Rutherford, I don't know how many of you remember him, the Rutherford, I mean the Weatherford Quartet. And at one time they went under the name Cathedral Quartet because they were based in Akron, Ohio at the Crystal Cathedral. But he got up there and he was exhorting between numbers. You know, when you have a quartet, you have to give the singers a little bit of leeway in between numbers. And he got up and he was, he was speaking and exhorting to the people. And uh, they had just sung, heaven will surely be worth it all. They sang that. Afterward, he did some more exhorting. And then they sang... It's different now. <laughs> it was. It was in a quartet concert where I paid seven fifty for my seat, <laughs> and uh, which a lot of church people back then they said, "Oh, these quartets—they shouldn't charge when they go around. They should all be free will." I don't know how they were supposed to run the buses that they traveled all over the country with on on free will offerings, but. The, I know of having had a quartet myself, not that I had a big bus. We had a station wagon, but it's expensive. You have an expense to go out when you minister like that. So it took 21 years 
and this coming October 26th, I will have sticking to my commitment for 55 years. People told me after it happened, that's just emotion. I'll give you two, three weeks, you'll be back, you'll be the same old John you were before. I wasn't. I had found the real thing. I sought, I asked, and I knocked. And it was open to me. Always remember, you have been yet. When you're seeking, it has to be in God's will. Have patience and wait. Don't ask for personal gain. I don't think God would look that bad at it if he'd say, well, please let them accept the offer I made on their house or something like that. But to just ask something for personal glory, to glorify yourself. Don't do it, because God wants you to ask right. And that's why oftentimes prayers are not answered. We're not asking right. We're asking amiss. So with that, I think we will end our message. God, our Father, we just thank you again for the time we had to be here. We ask now that something might have been said that will bless everyone that was here this morning. We just want to thank you for the opportunity that we had again to preach your word. God, we thank you for the, that we still have the strength and the ability to do it. Be with us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.